Welcome to the Trial Talks Podcast, a thought-provoking series surrounding clinical trial research. We'll be exploring current and future trends of the ever-changing clinical trial landscape as we discuss a variety of topics including virtual trials, patient centricity, novel and unique research, pandemic impact, and more. Join us and our expert guests on a journey through the evolution of clinical trials. Hello, and welcome to Trial Talks. I'm your host, Christina Hughes, Chief Operating Officer of Medrio, and am joined today by Mary Mattis, Senior Vice President of Global Operations at Cineract. Cineract is an innovative global CRO partnering with biotech and pharma to bring new medicines to market. In our episode today, we'll be discussing how Cineract addressed the challenges presented by COVID-19, the hot topic of decentralized trials, and how sponsors and CROs can be prepared for the future. Welcome, Mary. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Christina. I'm glad to talk to you. So let's start out with um, telling us a little bit about Cineract. Well, as you said, um, Cineract is a global CRO. We're a mid-sized global CRO um, here to bring clinical trials to life. And in today's day and age, that keeps evolving, what that means and, and how we do that successfully. And we're Excited to, to start to talk about some of this world of virtual trials and hybrid trials and how things are changing as we face this across all the different therapeutic areas. And Mary, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and your role at Cineract? Sure, I'd be glad to. So I'm the Senior Vice President of Global Operations. Basically, all of the, the project delivery people work in my, my vertical. We um, are full service, so everything from feasibility, patient um, recruitment, project management, clinical operations, biometrics, as well as some of the specialty services around pharmacometrics and regulatory consulting and support. All of those folks are in my team. I have been a CRO girl my whole life, um, so I'm about 23 years, I think, this year in the industry. And really, my focus has always been on growing and developing global teams, um, working together to identify and, and, and ultimately implement clinical technology. It's also always been a soft spot in my heart and a piece of, of what I've done quite a bit in, in my time here. And finding any way we can get to the data, making those data-driven decisions and using that to help forward our delivery as well as our sponsors' projects. Thank you, Mary. So we'll, we'll pivot now and talk a little bit about COVID. Uh, what challenges did Cineract face as a result of COVID-19? Well, I think we probably faced a lot of the same challenges that, you know, really the whole world faced, even outside of just the clinical research industry. So as, as a starting point, you know, I remember I got a, um, a text early Sunday morning in the middle of March to say we were having a, a quick exec meeting because we had some decisions we had to make. So we did come together as an executive team that Sunday afternoon. And basically, in the course of 24 hours, we put the entire company into a virtual functioning team. Um, so we're proud of that. I think that was what everybody was faced as we were trying to move into home-based scenarios in many different countries that were, were starting to um, recommend that or even mandate that. But the fact that we could do that so swiftly, we were really pleased with. I think that was the beginning of it. Then, um, as you know, Christina, you and I spent a lot of time in, in another venue talking about the idea of riding the waves, right? The waves of change that came with COVID as we move from east to west of, of how this pandemic really took over the world. 
So we rode those waves of impact on our trials. I think there's the initial piece where first and foremost, we were focused on the safety of our employees, then moving into making sure that the safety of our, our patients that were on the trials that we were involved with were paramount. So figuring out how to navigate site closures, how to navigate patients unable to get their investigational product, navigating how we could still stay in touch with patients that were actively taking whatever test articles were under, you know, under study, trying our best to help preserve these studies and trials for our sponsors, figuring out what we could do, moving certain things to virtual platforms and ways of continuing to run the studies but also helping then as time went on to come up with strategies of, of making up for lost time. Many of the, the sponsors face challenges in, in slow recru- recruitment and enrollment that we've had to help, you know, help them find some strategies to close the gaps on. So I think that what we found ourselves doing here as a result of, of COVID-19, we're figuring out all of those changes on the fly and really every week brought some new set of, of, knowledge, either from the regulatory agencies or from just the reality of what was happening with the pandemic and and how that was impacting the trial execution. My next question was going to be around the challenges that you, your sponsors and clients faced, and many of those you've highlighted um, in terms of what Cineract faced as well, because you were helping your clients navigate those challenges. Are there any other challenges you'd want to call out that specifically you saw your sponsors and clients facing that might have differed from those that Cineract faced? Yeah, I think that what the sponsors were facing was really where they were in their development timeline um, on a particular trial. You know, I think that different therapeutic areas experienced different amounts of impact. Um, We saw some different behaviors, for example, across um, a dermatology suite of studies compared to an oncology suite of studies. Um, Certain therapeutic areas we saw greater slowdowns in, and I think our sponsors had to respond to that. Again, in dealing with active trials, sometimes there were, were recruitment timelines that really had a major change, which had some impact for what promises the sponsors had made for reporting results or for where they may have been in in ultimately deciding what was going to happen with a particular development program. So I think those were some of the challenges that they faced, Those the timeline impact, the different therapeutic states. And, and again, depending on if it was um, planned studies, what we've seen quite a bit of, of sponsors, you know, pressing pause if there were opportunities to do so in development programs. But for active studies, we didn't have that option in many cases. You know, and again, particularly we saw the oncology vertical still stay quite strong in continuing to enroll patients and, and continuing to, to follow through and actively treating and, and delivering through the protocols, even despite the challenges of how we still gathered and collected that data. So decentralized uh, or virtual trials have been the topic of conversation for quite some time, Mary, and, and you and I have specifically talked about this uh, together. Um, but in the wake of COVID-19, uh, can you tell me how Cineract is equipped to support a decentralized or hybrid trial? Sure. Yeah, we actually have some experience in the hybrid piece for sure, because we've already migrated to that model as a result of COVID. You know, we have quite a few studies that midstream started implementing things like direct patient outcome reporting, you know, moving to the data collection from 
um, being collected at a site visit to actually moving it out into some kind of an ECOA tool where patients were being able to provide that. We also had experience on, on active studies that we were running during COVID where we scaled up mobile nursing solutions. Some studies already had them involved because, again, mobile nursing isn't a new concept. And particularly in the rare and orphan vertical that, that we run a lot of trials, you'll find that already in existence. But we had opportunities to either add that in to studies that were going on as well as scaling it up and, and using it in studies where that wasn't a part of the original scope. I think that as we look now to where we go from here on this, you know, I think we're starting a lot of our bidding processes when sponsors put out um, requests for proposals, they're either already asking how we would handle situations like this, or we also are proactively planning for it and giving the sponsor options for ways that they could be considering both decentralized as well as virtual trials key piece of that is, of course, the platforms and partners that we use. So Medrio, of course, being a good example, having multiple modalities of interface points of how we collect data and how we interface with the patients and with the sites. So across e-source, e-consent, again, supporting those patient-reported data points. Also, the other piece that Centeract utilizes is working across other partners for delivery of other aspects that help a trial to be decentralized or virtual, like how we deliver IP, telemedicine infrastructure, and those kinds of things. So we already have validated partners. Again, one of the things that's interesting about this is that I think much of the technology that's in this space, as well as even the concepts around the virtual and decentralized trials are not new. We've been talking about them for quite a while in the industry. I think what's been interesting is, is that the COVID-19 pandemic has moved it really to center stage, given us an opportunity to talk about it and actually really seriously recognize there's a need for this in addition to the other benefits that we knew already existed out there. Absolutely agree, Mary. Um, thank you for that response. And, and then what, you know, what would you say are the top three reasons why a sponsor should decentralize or implement a hybrid clinical trial? My answer to that hasn't changed in the last six months. I'll say that I think that the top reason I would still give and always have felt about this is really that it's the patient accessibility play. That has always been what we've heard connected to decentralized trials. And, um, you know, we all know that the patients are what this whole industry drives off of. And in many respects, they get harder and harder to tap into all the time. Um, I think there is a tremendous potential here to truly realize that patient accessibility piece that I think we talk a lot about in this industry. But for whatever reason, we don't quite step into it. You know, the idea of that patient accessibility is there, but truly creating an environment where patients are being driven to the trial directly I think is something that's been a lot more talk than action by many sponsors and CROs and and, and even technology providers in the industry. So I think that still is my number one. Um, Patient retention, I think, is a good second. I think that, you know, the more that we can put clinical trials into the mainstream of life and living, the more chance we have to not only attract those patients, but also retain them. And, you know, Quite frankly, one of the things I think has been really a fun perk about the way the COVID pandemic has taken over the world is it has brought clinical trials into everyday conversation. 
everyone wants to know what's happening in the development of treatments and in vaccines. And, you know, I, I love the conversations I'm having with all of the people in my life who are not clinical research people as to how it unfolds and what happens as a part of it and what commitments patients make to being a piece of this puzzle. So I think that patient retention piece and is something that a decentralized trial has a real strength that they can deliver. And then certainly, how could we not say COVID, right? I mean, I think that this points out that being able to be nimble, being able to have um, touch points with the patients and with the sites through a variety of means, not just the standard mechanism that we've been implementing clinical trials for so long, gives us the flexibility and the responsiveness to be able to, for example, handle another pandemic, whether that's another COVID wave or anything else that could strike. And just dovetailing off that, Mary, um, and I love your wave analogy, but as we think about um, the life sciences industry and ecosystem and where, you know, we've really leaned in in the midst of this pandemic and, you know, are sort of are coming out on the other side, mm-hmm. where, do you, where do you see the industry heading um, in general and then as it relates to technology? I think that the industry is thinking in a whole new way about resilience. I think we need resilience in study execution. I think we need resilience in product delivery, in how we move products through a life cycle, and being able to respond as these changes evolve. Um, I think that the industry has often found itself in a very conservative mode, even when sometimes the regulations have allowed for more flexibility. So I think that that's where I see the industry heading in general, is that I think that the resilience is going to become so important that we know we have to be able to continue the important work that we do of bringing treatments and solutions to patients that are waiting for them. I think that that resilience drives then some of the things that the industry will be open to about technology. The COVID pandemic has shown how important the technology component of this all is, just like the patient accessibility. It comes back to the patient accessibility in a time where things change. So to maintain that resilience and to be able to connect still with the patients, what I think we're going to see happen on the technology side is that there's there's a little bit of new technology, I think, but most of the technology that everybody's talking about in the world of virtual trials and, and decentralized trials and hybrid trials, I think mostly has been around, you know, that's been launched. It just hasn't had a lot of uptake. I think it's not dissimilar to 15 or so years ago in the world of EDC where everybody thought it was a great idea and there was lots and lots of talking, but boy, we spent the better part of a decade in pilot mode. I think we've been living through a pilot mode of a lot of these other technologies supporting virtual trials. And I think that where we're going to find the industry now is moving through this more swiftly because they recognize the resilience that it can bring to the delivery. And as you see us moving through this more swiftly, um, maybe embracing the technology, specifically when you think about a hybrid model or decentralization, a decentralized model, do you see that, Mary, as a short-term solution, or do you see it as maybe just sort of interim as we go through this, um, and then there'll be some new sexy technology that'll be on the market that we haven't even thought about, um, <laughs> or do you see it as a long-term strategy? 
Well, I think there's always a new sexy technology on the market. So, you know, that's uh, that's part of the fun of, of this corner of clinical research, I think. I think it's both short-term solution and long-term strategy right now is my answer. I think that it, it, you know, tying on what I just said a moment ago too, I think that we're in proof of concept time, right? You know, I think there have been a lot of people who talked about this and companies and platforms who have talked about doing this, but very few who've really executed it. I think we're in a really fun proof of concept time where we, we all really know the contours now of this landscape, the kind of challenges that we face in accessing these patients and keeping these trials viable and alive and moving, but, and moving swiftly through development to be able to deliver those, those treatments that are awaiting. Over the time, I think that we're going to look at that proof of concept and also discover what it takes to deliver it, the technology that it takes to do it, and then also how the landscape of the overall price points change. You know, there's a distribution change that always comes with technology. Technology does not always make things less expensive. It can. It can bring efficiency and cost reduction, but it almost always results in a redistribution of cost, you know, as to where we're putting, you know, today, you know, instead of now flying monitors all over the world, money spent for planes and hotels may well instead be spent on platforms that are supporting these virtual and decentralized trials. Thank you. And then Mary, if I may, I'm going to ask one bonus question. Um, I'd love, you know, uh, when this pandemic struck, everyone started talking about it as if we were in wartime and, and pivoting um, from, uh, to, a, to a wartime mode. Thinking about you and, and being such a tenured uh, leader in the industry, what have you learned about yourself um, as you've been sort of leading in wartime? Um, I'd, I'd love to just get your, uh, your take on that. Well, yeah, uh, you know, quick self-reflection. You've, you've have, I have to make, Christina. I think that what I've learned about myself is something that I've known anytime I've made a job transition or thought is that, boy, I love this industry. It is so exciting to be a part of improving people's lives. And it's always been important to me to feel like I have been a small piece of contributing towards bringing you know, bringing clinical trials to life and bringing drugs and treatments to to market for patients. But I think what I've learned about myself, especially during this time, is that that service mindset is not just for those patients, that the people who we work together every day with in delivering this big infrastructure of making this possible, there's such opportunity to serve them as well. And in a time that's a wartime, you know, pandemic, people need service in a whole nother way. You know, it's our job as leaders, I think, to take care of the people who we work with and who we're responsible for. And I think that in a pandemic time, everyone's stress is higher. People are dealing with a tremendous push from outside of their workplace that is even above and beyond the normal work-life balance that we always faced. So trying to navigate what people needed to be successful, what people needed to be supported, what people still need to think about evolving in their career and understanding this. I know, I think what I've learned about myself in this time is that 
I really love those pieces and that there's such an opportunity here, not only to serve these patients, but to serve this entire industry who are full of some really cool people every day making this happen. Thank you, Mary. And thanks so much for spending some time with us and taking time out of your schedule to answer our questions today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. This has been fun. (laughs) 